Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle, because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory-smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider, and also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your crave. Ask me. Ask Eliza anything. It's time. Right. Coming to you hot straight out of Brooklyn. With me today, we have the pleasure of not only a, a talented person, a creative person, but a person who has a real job in a field that a lot of you are interested in. I was able to finagle a visit from the director of the Eliza Schlesinger sketch show, Laura Murphy. She's my director and she's here. Thank you for having me. Oh, thank you for having dinner and then letting me lure you into my apartment. I was telling Laura before this, all I do is get done working and then wait, hoping she'll have dinner with me because she lives two floors below me. We're staying at the same Airbnb. <laughs> um, Laura is a real director and she's an actor. I'm sorry, that's not true. She's no. a writer, uh, occasional stand-in. Uh, and she's the real deal. And I was saying this earlier, I know women are all supposed to say like, I really want to direct... I not only have no ambition to direct, especially at this time, but after seeing Laura do the work she does, it's so much work, you guys. And I always want to hang out with her. And she's always like, I can't. I've got to do a shot list for tomorrow. I've got a production meeting. And I'm like, oh, but come get ice cream. She's like, I don't even like ice cream. <laughs> we were just getting ice cream. And tell them what flavor you sampled. Earl Grey tea. Okay, so it was disgusting. Total psychopath. <laughs> uh, but Laura's got the answers to your questions because... She's a female director, and she's a fucking legit one, blown away by how much work goes into this job. It's not just point click. Um, so we're going to kick it off. Elizabeth Jean White, how did you make your money before making it? I'm a 25-year-old actress, and I'm having a very hard time balancing my job that helps pay the bills. I'm so sorry, I burped. And finding time... I just had dinner with Laura. Ice cream. And finding... I did eat ice cream. And finding time to audition. I'm always very tired, and I find myself not putting in work to create quality performances. I can't quit my job because I need the money. What do I do to help sustain myself but keep my creative drive? That is very challenging. I will say that I think, or I learned early on, is it definitely recording? Yes. 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 I learned early on that um, you do have to do a lot of things for free. I feel like the, uh, w I got lucky. I had a, I started a, at MTV. I had a job in MTV as a writer in the off-air department, which made like print ads. Then. Okay. And I... Worked there, but we shared a floor with the on-air promos people who were the ones that um, made all the promos for shows on MTV that aired on MTV, which back then they had money and they would shoot a lot of cool stuff. And over time, I would work for off-air during the day and then I offered to write stuff for free for on-air promos You went night. over there. I did. I yeah. went to them. I got friendly with the people in there. I knew that's where I wanted to be. And they there were like writing jobs nobody in that department department wanted. Right. Like just writing like voiceovers for stuff they didn't want. And I was like, I'll do it for free because I really am interested in doing what you're doing. And if you show interest in something and you're willing to do it for free, 90% of the time, if you, if you show initiative, people will reward that with people opportunity. People want you to show up and take a load off. Yes. They want you to, they want a capable kid who's not a pain in the ass, who's smiley even if you're a PA, then they want you back. They want to see that you want to be there. And it's not hard to just, if you do a job 100% and you're easy to work with, you will go far because not a lot of people do that, surprisingly. Talk about that because on the acting side, you know, you always see the people that treat the crew well. Mm -hmm. You know, it's always like, yeah, she's really nice. He's really great to work with because people have a choice to work with you or not. Yeah. And I think... Um, 
everybody you work with at work with or work for coming up that they will come back in your life later on. To haunt you. So, yes, yeah. to haunt you or to reward you. Like there, I did a job, it was like a series I was shooting in Atlanta and the kid who was the actor in it, who was this amazing actor, he was on Everybody Loves Chris, he's like a great actor. He, this first day of shooting was like, my cousin was a PA at MTV when you worked there and he told me, you're great and I'll be in good hands. Because of that, yeah. he inherently trusted me. Right. I didn't know when I was being nice to a PA at MTV that it was going to come back. I was just like, be nice to everybody. If people aren't good at their job, help them be better. And if they're good at their job, reward them. Like that was always the mindset. And I think the same goes for trying for, for opportunities. Like I, un I did a lot of stuff for free. I was exhausted. I didn't want to work double. Like I'd work all day on one thing at night I'd work on another thing for free but I was passionate about it so it made it worth it right so in your 20s is the time to do that you have the energy yeah because you'll definitely hit like 30 and be like I can't do two things anymore if oh you, my god you gotta, no. you gotta do it now so I had I think this is a good time to be trying to put yourself out there in two different ways you have the energy your tank's not gonna run empty when I was hosting excuse there was definitely this PA who was like not nice at all and she definitely tried to spread a rumor that I threw soup at her uh <laughs> correction I threw the soup in the garbage because it wasn't the soup I asked for, I asked for very little, and uh, I never threw soup at anyone. So that's don't such a specific I just, rumor to start. Throwing soup at someone is such a diva move, and you can't do that hosting like a syndicated strip show. But I, I feel like throw if it away. somebody told me somebody threw soup at them, I would assume they were lying or exaggerating. It, yeah, it just is not something that happens in real life that often. No, but I would agree with this. I also I've talked about this on the pod. When I had my day job, I would call up other comics, comics now who like couldn't even open for me. And I'd be like, can I make your comedy flyer? Mm -hmm. Can you know, and I started my own show. You have to just be industrious and it finds a way. Like there's no wrong way to do it. It is like if you put the energy out there, you it, it, you start the momentum towards heading towards that. And even if you're doing it a little bit when you're tired, if you're at least doing it, then I feel like there it builds its own momentum and you get excited when you yeah. get positive results and you'll be less tired. And so many people also talk about doing it, but don't do it. Yeah, that is true. You got to get in the game. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It happened to me. I didn't think it would, but it happened to me. I had a nasty bout of postpartum depression. Now, there's nothing to be ashamed about in talking about what you're dealing with, and there's nothing to be ashamed about in talking about it with someone. I definitely saw a therapist these last couple weeks because, you know, I spend my time giving advice to others, but I could use a little advice myself. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. I'll tell you what, when you're already stressed or anxious, the last thing you want to do is battle traffic and sit in a waiting room and get your parking validated. I'm sorry, is that just an LA thing? You don't need to add all that. You can just sit in the comfort of your own home or a chair you like outside and you can talk to someone from BetterHelp. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and you can switch therapists at any time. No additional charge and it doesn't hurt their feelings. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash Eliza today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash Eliza. I'm busy and this time of year gets even busier. I've had my baby. I'm back to work. I'm at meetings. I'm on tour. I'm running around and I don't always have time to sit down for a meal with my family. Sometimes I get home from set so late and I just need to eat something nutritious and go to bed. And that's why I like Factors fresh, never frozen meals because they're dietitian approved and they're ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy I am, and I'm busy, I always have time to get a nutritious, great tasting meal. Factor has over 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week. So I never get bored. I'm trying to do less meat in general and they have wonderful vegan and veggie options. I just made a vegan mushroom marsala and I made an onion risotto. Just because you're eating vegetarian doesn't mean you can't eat deliciously. It had roasted garlic green beans. It was scrumptious. Head to factormeals.com slash Eliza50 and use code Eliza50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code Eliza50 at factormeals.com slash Eliza50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Well, it's finally happening. The weather is finally getting warmer. So it's time to say goodbye to the jackets and cozy sweaters we've been hibernating in all winter. And it's time to say hello, bonjour, to shorts and t-shirts. And if you've been wanting to update your wardrobe for the long haul without spending a fortune, Quince is for you. I talk about Quince a lot because I really believe in a sustainable capsule wardrobe. And there's no reason you can't have a sustainable, timeless wardrobe for every season. 
And Quince has got you covered with premium linen dresses, blouses and shorts from $30, washable, silk tops, hello. And the best part is all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Dressing well shouldn't break the bank. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. Look well. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash Eliza for free shipping on your order and 365-day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash Eliza to get free shipping and 365-day returns. Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash Eliza. Uh, I am Stephanie Mariano. Hi, Liza. Hi, Laura. <laughs> Hi, Stephanie. Hi. I'm an amateur actress, writer, and director. It's a lot of hats. Trying to get as much experience as possible. I've been writing a bunch of pilots, movies, and just shorts even, but sometimes I have the feeling I'm not doing things right, and I get frustrated that I'm not at a place where I can work in teams to make a better product. Join the club. I live in London, and classes are ridiculously expensive, and sometimes I feel that although this is my passion... It is one with a dead end, even though I'm confident enough in myself that I'll be great in roles. Do you have any advice how to get working with like-minded people, get experience when you're new to the scene, how to get your work circulating? You should pay me for this. Thanks in advance, Eliza. I love you and your podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening across the pond. Keep rocking you too. I can answer in general. Yeah, I have two thoughts on that. One is um, I... I did not make this up. It was somebody from NPR, and I can't remember who it was from NPR, that said the most profound thing that I think changed my perspective on everything, which is if you're in any sort of creative or expressive field, there you will start out making work, and there will be a long time before the work that you make, because you have taste as a creative person, will be good enough for, like, will be as good as you think it should be. Uh-huh. And that parallel, that, like, triangle of the work you're making and the work you wish you could make takes a long time for those two things to meet up. I and, still haven't. And the people <laughs> who are willing to stay with it for that long yeah. will succeed. You're mm-hmm. you're perpetually going to be disappointed by everything you do until you reach a point of the experience you have matching the taste and the desire you have. I, gone. I, the other thing I would say is I didn't go to film school. I know plenty of people who didn't go to film school be on sets like that's the only like you can have brilliant ideas you can be a brilliant writer you need to be on set see how things work what be quiet on set be sit back be a pa work for craft service like do anything to be on sets see the mistakes people make see the things they do well and that is the best experience you can do you know that i watch you Really? I watch you. I watch you all day, every day on monitors. True, <laughs> but it's different. I don't yeah. have to watch you. Yeah. Uh, and I get no pleasure out of watching you. <laughs> I have. To, I watch you because there are things, I went to film school and there are things that like, you're just it real life experience. No matter yeah. what you go to school for, you can go to school for being a doctor, but until you get into an operating room, you don't know what blood feels like. Yeah. Being on set, I learned terms like tail sticks, 10-100. Was it 10, 10? Yeah. When you pee? Yeah, and then yeah. like 10... 200? And then what's 10, 400? Oh, I don't know. I've never oh, heard that it's one. coming out of everywhere. Yeah, that's a disaster. There's a whole language and there's a way that things work and you start to see who's good and who's bad at their job. Um, and there's etiquette. There's set etiquette is so important. And I, and I also think you learn more about how to shoot things and how to write things by watching people shoot stuff and say words. Yeah. And I and I think looking at polished television and polished movies is great and that's great to do, but it's like you also want to see you want to be in the kitchen and not just taste the meal that comes out at the end. That's great. Yeah, that's and a good I think point. that's like you I think writing all the time keeping that muscle going is great. Always be shooting stuff anytime you can with friends. But being on set is how you'll find other like-minded creative people. Like so many people started as PAs and now make movies together because they met like being PAs yeah, together. Yeah, and they, oh, I can trust this person. Yep. And also like writing something, it, it's so funny. Like I'll write a sketch and then when I see it executed in my head, I'm like, oh, I didn't think to say put the chairs in a circle. I thought it was assumed they'd be in a circle. Oh, and then it's like, no, we put them in this way. You allow space for other people's interpretation of the creativity and you let go of things. Mm-hmm. And once I saw like that you, for example, totally got the comedy in a way that I got it, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to let her do it her way. It's it's about teamwork because there are sometimes you're going to work with directors where you're like, this person doesn't fucking get it and I need to like hover over them. Yeah. Uh, so there is like an earned trust there. And just knowing like you... 
you can watch a movie and you can say that was a bad edit, but like watching another director and I watch Lauren, she'll be like, we need coverage on this or this angle is not right. This tells the wrong thing. Just seeing it from their perspective teaches you what you should be looking for. Right, so yeah. So I watch you. Oh, thank you. I watch you when you don't think I'm watching. That I like that, thanks. But this uh, this British lady, this British woman, uh, you, you've written a bunch of pilots, movies, things like that. Keep writing them. Most things are not great and get people to read them. Yeah. Not just anyone, but like someone hopefully that's better than you to that's critique great it. advice, yeah. Which is so hard. It is. And you have to be open to taking their critique. Yeah. You don't, that there's like this thing we do when we write pilots for networks and when the network gives you the shitty note, you have to just be like, okay, well look at that. Yeah. You have to say yes or no, but there is an art to taking a critique and not coming off like a monster. There's also an art to giving notes that I think some people are good at and some people are bad at. And if I think as a writer and as a reader, mm -hmm. uh, I think what people often do is offer solutions and fixes and they don't tell you the problem it's fixing. And I will say if somebody asks you to read something and you're giving notes, instead of saying, instead of saying this, why don't you say this? Yeah. Tell them why. Like, I think those are good readers or people who can be like, this has a problem because this is inconsistent with the character. And As opposed you to go saying the character out. should say blah, blah, blah. Well, that's funny because so on set, the term is a line read, which means like I would... If I were the director, I'd be like, here, say it like this. And I notice that you never, my go-to is, here's how I would say it, here's how you have to say it. And you never give a line read. You always get the performance out of people. And it drives me, I would not have the patience. I'd be like, <laughs> obviously the inflection is on the E, say it this way. And I you, have some cheats. I feel like I I've, cheat a little. I've, I have ways of implying a line read without giving a line I've read. I've noticed that too, but that's part of directing is yes. like letting the yeah. actor arrive at that. Yes. Because I lose patience. We had an actor today, it was this guy, and he kept giving this like hokey read and I turned to Laura. I left the set and I was like, get this guy to read the line like a fucking human. <laughs> and Laura pretended she heard something else, waited a beat, and then she gave the note. So the guy didn't go on a fucking rampage. <laughs> Jesse Toe. Hi, Eliza and Laura. As a director, well, no punctuation. As a director, how do you deal with disrespect? Because I have recently directed a play and my actors have had little respect for my ideas and directions. I've suggested that we sit down and talk about it, but they still have been disrespectful. I will be directing another in a few months. For future reference, how do you deal with this? Also, Eliza, I love your podcast and Netflix specials too. Thank you so much. I'll see you in Toronto. <laughs> Fun. That is challenging. I feel like that is something that needs to be uh, proactively prevented before it gets to that point. I think that if you're to the point where your actors are actively being disrespectful to you, there it's hard to come back from that. I think the thing that has to... I think when you come into a project, you have to have a clear voice... You have to be clear in your communication of your vision in a way that everybody can understand. Right. And you have to command the space of the communication in a way that uh, even if you're even if you're not sure of your vision, say it in a way that you are sure of. Because they're looking to you for these answers. Yes, it's like there's so, there needs to be a team leader. And I think if you establish yourself from the beginning in a very clear way of right. here's my vision, here's what I want to do, here's how I'm communicating it to you. I'm open for collaboration, but ultimately here's how I think we should do it. And then set that tone of communication. I think you can prevent that. I think as a director on sets uh, in, and I imagine I've never done theater, but I imagine it's similar. I'm not sure, but um, I can speak from my experience as the director, you set the tone and attitude of the entire set. Absolutely. You set the communication tone. You set the mood that everybody's in. Mm. You set the way people communicate with each other. I will not hire or work with crew that have like bad attitudes unnecessarily or diva attitude because we're making comedies. Of course, there's going to be some people that come in and have a bad attitude or rub. But if you from the beginning set the tone and communication and the vibe of that set as being positive, supportive, collaborative, fun, fun, but of uh, working hard, right? We're like, yeah, like we're working fast, we're moving fast, but this is a fun, supportive, uh, empathetic environment that's Realizing collaborative. everyone's trying. Like yes. the lighting guy may take a little bit longer. We're all trying. No one's dicking around. I also think, I remember when we started this project, I was like, you know, I can get in bad moods and I can be, you know, not, in a, you know, like a human. Right, and I, of course. I was like, this is on me. If I'm in a bad mood, everybody know. like everybody would know it. If I'm sad, if I'm sick, everybody's got a walkie. So it's like secret service. Like everybody knows where I am at all times. And if I 
do anything. They're like, oh, we heard that you needed a cough drop. We, we heard that you weren't right. feeling well. Right. So the onus is on you and people respond to that. If, if the lead actor is in a shitty mood, it makes people feel bad. So I really, part of me was like, I cannot have a bad day because I don't want people to say I'm a mean person. No, <laughs> <laughs> I want people to have fun at work. And also I think people look to the, like the lead actor, you're also the executive producer and the director for, to, they follow cues. So yeah. if I am yelling, screaming, freaking out over stuff, that gives them license to do the same thing. Sure. If from the beginning I am, I am running a set that is organized, communicative, fun, but also very chill. Yeah, very And nobody's chill. freaking out. And the DP I work with, Russ, on this project, I knew was like that too. Yeah. If we're not freaking out and somebody at a lower level freaks out, they're the bad guy. Like then that makes no, obvious. Yeah, because nobody wants to ruin something that we're working hard to maintain, which is a positive environment, especially in a comedy. It's like children. Like if you're a chill parent, you might have a chill kid. Yeah. I, I also I don't think know. it might be different in a drama or like an action movie where like things could blow up and people could get hurt. I don't, I've only done comedy, but I feel like in a comedy environment, if it's stressful, that then you, that comes through. And you cannot product. be funny. You can't be funny. If there's like a pressure. That's why I always feel like panel shows, you're always just like, oh, is this where I'm supposed to like jamming something funny right now even though nobody is supportive of me being here right cool uh dax is a name i have a couple you can choose whichever ones you like in your opinion was there any difference working with an online based sketch troupe like smosh versus traditional media sketch comedies or have the lines between those two groups blurred enough that production acts the same interesting somebody went through my imdb oh, my i fans, love it they don't sleep i love it yeah um I did the series with Smosh. It was like one of YouTube's first scripted series. Uh, what is that? Tell people. They, Smosh were like, I think they were like YouTube's first huge blow up hit. And they made videos that were like wacky, funny videos. Mm -hmm. And then started to transition into like they made a movie. And then YouTube wanted to make a scripted series with them, which was a great idea. It was the tone of the series was very different than I think the original videos were. I'd say the biggest difference there's a, the difference, obviously budget is a difference between some digital series and some uh, broadcast or premium streaming thing. There's obviously a budgetary difference. I think the other big difference is um, working with, there's two types, I think there's, you work with comedy actors who are, who have a lot of comedy acting experience and then you work with comedy actors who are innately funny but don't have as much uh scripted comedy experience mm -hmm. and that that I think is really about knowing who you're working with and the best way to serve them as a director because something like Smosh those guys were super funny they were really pros about learning dialogue and but the, it's not something that came innately to them and it was just like let's find the let's definitely play to your strengths create characters that make sense for you and then allow like uh they were they were really good actually about learning a ton of dialogue but they were like that was like an ensemble cast of seven people who didn't have a ton of experience and right. we were shooting in very tight budget. But they, everybody rose to the occasion. I mean, same thing. It's like everybody's going to... They were the Smosh guys. It was their show, and they performed at such a pro level for not having done a series before that all the other actors were also like, "Well, we don't want to be the ones who do a bad job." So, right. Um, but I think that style of directing is just so much more run and gun and fast, and you can't get a bunch of takes, and you can't be precious about camera or lighting. Well, that piggybacks into the piggybacks into yep two pigs into each other. <laughs> Aimlin19, how do you handle just plain bad acting as a director? Sometimes you watch a television show or movie and it's cringeworthy or uncomfortable to watch. Do you sometimes have to let it go and just make a move when an actor isn't giving what you're looking for as far as performance? I think it happens much more often in cameo or guest appearance roles. Love the podcast. Never go on hiatus. Also would love to hear as a guest on armchair. Okay, I don't know what that says, but that sounds great. Okay. I've never worked with a bad actor. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I think uh, in comedy, there's a little more flexibility. And I think that... I think sometimes bad performances are based on bad directing and bad script, as well as the actor... I, I think sometimes I bad like actors get a bad rap sometimes for things that are bad scripts and bad directing combined. Because you can see really amazing actors in movies and be like, that was terrible. And that's when you know, like, they have it in them. That's bad directing and bad scripting combined. Did you? There's a movie out with Alec Baldwin and Selma Hayek. It's called, like drunk Christmas or something and like Jim Gaffigan and you're like did someone just give them each five million dollars right and just let them do whatever it's they like want it's like an airplane yeah. movie and you're like what is that okay. I think so 
I think if if you have this pyramid of script, performance, and direction, one of those things can be off and the whole thing can crumble. Mm -hmm. So it has to kind of be a good symmetry of all of them. And some of that involves tweaking script on the spot. Because right. you can have like, you could watch somebody do a line over and over and it's just something's off and they they're, you can tell they're not comfortable right. with the way it's worded. So you have to be open, like have the kind of writer mind to be able to like be like, hey, with these small tweaks, we don't change the intention of the line, but it might be easier for you to say. This feels like it's more in your voice. The intention of the line. We did that today. We yeah. did that today. We had a line that was supposed to convey that we'd been flying on an airplane for quite some time. And we had to like on the spot tweak it. And it's oddly, weirdly hard sometimes. It is. To convey something very normal, which is we've been flying for a while, but we're almost to Paris. Because you say it over and over and you start to think like this never, nobody would yeah, ever say the this. The word hour is weird. But I think you figure, and also I think uh, you can always shoot around a bad performance. Like you you can figure out in a scene that this person, if it is like a cameo or somebody is not that experienced and they're just not going to get it, then you can shoot um, reactions. Right. You can shoot cutaways. You can do something like- Turns out they're if, a terrible actor, but they're a brilliant <laughs> reactor. Right. Or like- the reactions of the other people yeah. will carry there and you only have to show them for the beginning end of the line or like some sort of simple, sometimes honestly, if the it's acting is such a challenge when you're in a void. And so giving somebody a simple gesture to do, like if you're sweeping when you say this, instead of just standing here and that motivates you to go from yeah. one side of the room to the other can sometimes solve a problem. You need to have an action. Yeah, uh, or a reason. Sometimes an actress needs a reason because they can know the line. Because otherwise you're just giving a monologue. Right. And uh, it does, and a lot of times when you're shooting one side of a scene, it feels like that because you've done it 20 times and you've lost the... I always feel like I'm better when we're getting the coverage for the other actor because I've had time to go over... My, like, we've already shot my side and then I come up with all this funny stuff when I'm already off camera. That always happens. So for the rest of the show, I'd like to be shot second. Or, like, when when you're doing the lines in the beginning for somebody else and your coverage comes second, you'll always nail the lines when it's always. not on you. Always. Because oh, you're just not in your head. Brilliant improv, it's, amazing yeah. facial. It's because you're relaxed. Yeah, there is that. There is something about the camera being on you. Sweaty spaghetti. When you ask someone what language they took in school, usually it's like with an eye roll. They're like, mm, French. It's like, do you speak French? No, I don't use it. I feel like a lot of us had difficulties learning a language in school. Rosetta Stone is here to change that. It's available on desktop and it can be used as an app on your phone or your tablet. Rosetta Stone are trusted experts for more than 30 years with millions of users and 25 languages offered. Rosetta Stone immerses you in many ways with an intuitive process and you can pick up any language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Plus, with Rosetta Stone's true accent feature, you'll get feedback on how well you're pronouncing words. That's right. You might even fool some locals into thinking you're one of them. It's like having a personal trainer for your accent. I headed to Mexico City for a little vacation, and I used Rosetta Stone to brush up on my Spanish. Just a few things, a few verbs that I knew I had forgotten, and I was better. Mejor. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Ask Eliza Anything listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash Eliza. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash Eliza today. I do think there's something to be said for ordering something of quality and every once in a while getting a nice package in the mail with a product that you're going to own for a long time. Let me tell you about Bolin Branch's signature sheets because they're the perfect way to start upgrading your sleep, your room, the look of your room because they're designed to feel incredible for all sleepers. They are made with the finest 100% organic cotton. These sheets feel buttery soft yet super breathable and they're perfect for warmer summer months ahead. We have a house that we go to in the summer and I got all Bolin Branch sheets for the beds because we're having a lot of guests this year and I want them to feel like they're at a nice bed and breakfast that they didn't have to pay for. Bolin Branch sheets are free from toxins like synthetic pesticides, formaldehyde. I bet you didn't know that was in your sheets. And their signature sheets come in 14 versatile colors and they come in sizes from twin all the way up to California King. And Bolin Branch has a 30-night worry-free guarantee, which means you can wash, style, and sleep in their sheets for an entire month. And if you don't love them for any reason, you can send them right back with free returns on all U.S. orders. Sleep better with the softest, most breathable bedding from Bolin Branch. Go to bolinbranch.com slash Eliza for 15% off your first sheet set, plus free shipping. That's Bolin Branch. 
B-O-L-L-A-N-D branch.com slash Eliza for 15% off. Exclusions apply. See site for details. For both of you, what are some examples? Oh, I could do this all day. What are some examples of dudes behaving badly in your respective career histories? How did you handle them or wish you'd handled them? What's your advice for women in comedy, film, to keep producing great work while correcting garbage behavior? <laughs> uh, not trying to focus on the negative. Maybe you could share some gold star memories too. Just noticing a lot of guys in film specifically brushing off their deeply ingrained misogynistic practices as not that bad and nothing to bitch about when it involves anything less than outright assault or lewdness. Well, let's break this into something without getting into like obviously rape is bad and you can't grab a girl's butt. But you and I were talking about this over dinner. Um, just in terms of how, and I'll say it so you don't have to say it, but we were saying how when you do a job where there are actually more men that do it, you don't have the luxury of fucking up Yeah, as a woman because- You can't fail up. There's no failing up as a woman. I think for a long time it was easier for men to fail up because there was no competition. And I think the, what, the good thing is men don't have that luxury anymore because there's really good women now in the jobs. So yeah. they don't, have, and I think there is- the frustration they're sometimes feeling is because it's just more challenging. But as a woman, you still don't have that luxury. Well, there's never going to, I mean, ideally we'll reach a point where you can make a bad movie and get another movie. But right now as women, it's like, we don't have that luxury. Right. You have to be top of your you game. You get a movie and you eat and you do great. And then you eat shit on the second one. They're not calling you again. Yeah. Uh, you know, and there are men that fail, uh, horizontally or parallel or, you know, they fail, whatever. But there is that pressure where you are. We love to put this microscope on women. When you're doing well, it's like, okay, great. And when you fuck up, it's like, well, that's all women. Right. So it's this burden that you carry and all you're thinking is really because I was just doing what I love doing. And I'm like Laura, and I told her this, she already knows this. She It was... I actually can't remember who else was up for this job, but Laura got the job. I am a feminist. I talk about it. I'm kind of over that word, by the way. I really believe in giving women chances. I would have given a man this job in a heartbeat if he was better than Laura. I would not have given it to her just because she was a girl. I don't operate that way, but she was better. Laura got the job. My showrunner's a woman. My manager's a woman. Uh, a lot of our crew are women. Mm -hmm. That's real feminism to me is giving you the job despite the fact that you're a woman. Yep. It's just you were just more qualified for it. And you feel it, this tokenism of like, well, it's because she's a woman. You get a lot of women who are not great at their jobs. There are women that are great at their jobs that still get the shit under the stick. But you get these women who muck it up for the talented ones that are like, why can't I get something? And it's like, put in the work. Yeah. Nobody is out there, and I really believe this, pounding the pavement, doing quality work with a great attitude, and they're just not getting a chance. Yeah. It's harder. There's not as many chances, but right. there are chances now, there which is already better than it was 10 years ago and or I'll, 12 years I'll ago. All related to stand-up, you know, you get a lot of women that are like, why can't, there should be half the women on this lineup. It should just be women. And I'm like, I started doing stand-up before we had this Me Too conversation, all of this. I got my stage time because I hustled for it. And I expect the same out of you and I will respect you for it. But being entitled to something or taking the approach automatically, oh, it's because I'm a woman, when, right. But let's let's rule out the fact that you're not great at this before we go in for what yeah. it could be. I mean, I've been lucky in the sense that if I didn't get a job because of a, I was a woman, I don't know about. Like, I'm sure there's jobs that I wasn't even looked at maybe because right. I was a woman when I was starting out, but I don't know about that. Like, right. Because and so I feel like luck played a lot in it. I was in the right place at the right time. I met the right people. But I also worked my ass off and I still will do, like to this day, I, any job I do, I'm going to do it 200%. I'm big on prep. I'm big on organization because I don't want to, I'm still working from, I want to do everything 200%. That's how I'm wired. But also there's, is the fear-based thing of if I mess up once, I might, that might be it sure. for me. So that kind of fuels me a little bit, but I hope that we'll reach a point in the next generation where you could, you could as a woman fuck up and still keep working. And it's like still and charming you, that she was a bitch that day. Yeah, we like you her. can still just be normal and human and not have to do a 300% better job than everybody to yeah. keep working. But we, when we started shooting the show, I was there for a production day, but I didn't have to stay for it. But the whole crew uh, did for a sexual harassment, like 45 minute yes. training. And tell, will you tell your story about when you were the only girl on set? Oh yeah, I did do one job because sometimes the ads will have to do like in director. New York. In New York State now, I think you, they now are mandatory do these sexual harassment and uh, workplace which really seminars. fixes a lot when you're a rapist. Once you've taken a forty five minute <laughs> seminar, you're like, I'll rethink this. 
the, my, the biggest takeaway from that was don't write anything in text message you don't want to see blown up on a foam core in a courtroom. And I was do like, you, that's valid. Do you all hear that? Think about that. <laughs> don't write anything in text message you don't want to see presented as evidence. Yeah. And circumstantial court, yeah, evidence. Just imagine it before you hit send, blown up on a giant piece of foam core on an easel in a courtroom. Yeah, imagine your, your dick. <laughs> all right. <laughs> but, uh... But before, but in California, they don't do that yet. I'm sure they will. But also sometimes like in the beginning of a job, the assistant director will give a, like a safety speech and then also do this like brief sexual harassment speech. And I was on a movie. It was a very lax crew. And I think I was the only woman there. And the AD started the speech. It was like, okay. And also everybody be cool. Don't sexually harass each other. Even though Laura is the only girl here, try to keep your hands off her. And also her boyfriend is the camera operator. So it might piss him off. And I was like, this is, spiraling into the I just worst. love the idea of like, so just stay away from her. <laughs> exactly. You're I was like, like, hey guys. I don't think this was the core message. Emma, oh wait, wasn't that no. question about guys, how to handle guys being shitty? Because yeah. I do have a good, yeah. uh, we talk about this, we've talked about this in the, uh, this mentor group I have for female directors called Collective Hustle. But uh, the, oftentimes it, and it's getting better, but um, female directors that are new will be paired with seasoned DPs, directors of photography who are male, who are more seasoned. Explain what a director of photography does. So the director of the photography is really the cinematographer. So he is the person that uh, ha- sets the lighting look with the gaffer who then executes it. He figures out what kind of cameras you're shooting with and he works with the director on what lenses and what framing and that should be very collaborative. A lot of, there was a lot of problems for a long time coming up of female, young female directors or up and coming female directors being paired with seasoned DPs who steamroll them. Right. Who were like, just, and I don't think it was intentional. I think it was like, I know better. I've done this before. I'm not going to work with you. I'm going to, you're going to learn by watching me just steamroll you. And that still happens. And that happens with other department heads. And it is something that as a female, you have to you have to learn to deal with because mm-hmm. any male director coming in is given the benefit of the doubt and then f- loses it by being bad. Any female director is coming in with zero and has to earn respect. Mm. Just, this is how it is mm-hmm. when it's a predominantly male crew. Mm-hmm. When it's a female crew, it's a different dynamic. So the, the biggest thing is um, A, never let it show that it's getting to you. And That's a good life lesson. It is. And B... Um, you will always win if you have humor, like just deal with it with humor, which I know not everybody has the luxury of, but if you can right away set, like set a bar that you're fine with making fun of picking on someone, um, in a funny lighthearted way, that's smarter and wittier than something they're going to say. Oh, men love it when you outwit them. Yeah. They love it. <laughs> that they will stop challenging you. Right. Because they don't want that to happen again. Like in public. If you, yeah. Like yeah. if you, I think you just have to set the tone of like, this is my set. I'm in charge of it. And because ultimately you are, if you don't want to shoot with that lens, you're not going to. Yeah. And it's like the, I, there was a situation where another director that, um, I was mentoring was working on this job and the, AD was very much it was a producer acting as an AD and he was being very challenging and it was like she was like how much time do we have left for these shots and he just kept saying not enough which is the least helpful thing you can say and so finally I was like oh my god you don't know how to tell time you've been this whole time you've been trying you don't want us to know you don't know how to tell time which made everybody laugh and made him really uncomfortable and then it also said like stop dude you know what reminds me of like if a guy's like sexually assaulting you and he's like i'm gonna make you my girlfriend you're like i will be your girlfriend isn't this fun right like you it's it's a little it makes me uncomfortable i think well i think you have to shift the path it's a power dynamic without making it a power dynamic without emasculating where, someone yeah where it's like dude like we're both here to make this music video i get it that you have your own shot list let's just work on mine and then you can go shoot whatever you want afterward never but- underestimate the fragility of an ego <clears throat> yeah. and that's for men and women to be honest also at the end of the day if it is your set this has happened a couple times the amount of times i've yelled on the set it's my show or like a pa will be like we can't do something i'll be like that's my show yeah, and, and I use that as like a trump card. But like also, if you I really, say it in a funny way. It's my and, show. Get yeah, me, and get you're me ice cream. saying it lighthearted. It's not like you're really angry about. And I think that's the thing. No, I'm like, not angry. You can win anything if you make a joke that's not actually mean or. Let's just hope the person you're making the joke about gets that. Yeah, she hurt my feefies. Emma Dana, Emma dot Dana, Emma dot Dana. As writers, would either of you work with someone who had essentially stolen work from you in the past? But working with this person again would further your own career? No. What? No. Well, for me, that'd be like, you stole my stand-up. You're 
a jackass. Yeah, also that's not somebody you want to work with in the long run. Yeah, I think what you're really asking, because she says, is this something that the industry just expects? You will, forget the stealing, you will have to work with people that you have beef with. You will have to work with people that you just don't like. Yeah, forever. Uh, there are people that I don't like that I haven't met, but then I meet them and then you're like, oh, that's a nice person. There are people who I don't respect that I've had to be on sets with. Oh, yeah. You just pretend that it doesn't bother you because... She, that person will look bad. Like if they, they're, they're mm-hmm. the ones that make it an issue and you're just like, I don't know what you're talking about. You have to just get over it because they're not going away. No. The, and also if you are really good at your job and you can go to bed every night knowing you did your job the best you could Truly. that day, you prepare for it and you go in and you give your 110% and at the end yeah. of the day, you know you did a good job, then none of that stuff will bother you. It always, you'll, you'll always maintain the... Like, and people around you know that you're a good person. It always comes out in the wash. I did a show one time. Um, I was a guest on it, and I made a point of showing up. I was very quiet. I stayed in my corner with my dog. I did. I went out of my way to be low maintenance. I'm already a pretty low maintenance performer. And I corrected a producer on the pronunciation of my last name. And I might have been like a little curt, but it's also like, or I'm the guest and you should have right, known this, yeah. the misspelling. He called my agent to complain and say that I was a diva on set. I only hung out with my dog. And I was like, I know that's not true. You can ask the makeup lady who I ate dinner with. And my agent called him back and was like, I think what you're saying is a lie. And the guy admitted that he had made it up. Really? It will always come out in the wash. Yeah, it always does. Yeah, it was really, that was a really hurtful lesson. Don't ever correct someone on the that's pronunciation cr- of You're like the name. least diva person Thank ever you. on set. I had to be in a fat suit for like four hours today and I found a hole yeah. and I laid down <laughs> and I just did. waited. I, yeah. I was so hot. Um, Sam underscore M underscore Chapman. Eliza, I know you moved to California from another state. Laura, did you? Did you have a job first or did you move first and then find a job? What do you suggest? Get a job or move first? I did move from New York to LA. Upstate I, New York. Tell me where you're from. I'm from Rhinebeck, New York. In the du- Duchess County, beautiful Hudson Valley, home of the Duchess County Fair. Um, I lived in the city for a long time in New York, and I moved to L.A. I was freelance. It- it's kind of different because I was freelance, so it's like I was working freelance in either coast. So I would always say have jo- at least job prospects before you move. I've moved back and forth now so many times. I've storage units on both coasts. I think, Whoa. like, yeah. <laughs> Hot brag. That's my brag. Yeah. <laughs> but, like... I think it's always good to have at least contacts and prospects before you move somewhere. There's something insane like 8,000 women a day move to Los Angeles or some weird stat. And I saw the story <laughs> really? on Instagram. It was about these two people who have become homeless. They moved here. One moved here to be like a DP or something. And it was this thing where LA already has so many people. They moved here and became homeless. And this takeaway from the story was, but they're not, they're like staying at a homeless shelter. They're not giving up. They're going to stick it out. I'm like, no. Oh, like God. if you have no prospects, yeah. maybe it's not the best place for you. Exactly. And they're like, we're not going to give up, but we don't recommend LA for anyone. I'm like, I don't recommend LA for you. Right. Yeah. Have I had like a some friends from school, not that any of them helped me in any way, shape or form, but I did have a little network. And also if you have a college degree, you can always get a shitty job typing. Yeah. As exactly. I did. And I think also there's like thriving film communities all over now in a lot of states yeah. that aren't as saturated with um with the, with tons of people wanting to do the same thing. That- Literally show up, be like, I just want to be a PA because anyone can be a yeah. PA. And if you're good, they will keep you. Like I love the PAs we had and I would give them a job doing something more important next time because yeah. they showed how great they were. Just show up and you, I got a job. I was offered craft services. Yeah. I was a PA and they were like, do you want to do the food next time? And I was like, no. <laughs> That seems hard. Some people love food. Some people love food. Yeah. I mean, I think have some potential prospects. Oh, here's a serious question. Kathy Pacheco. I feel like my mom wrote this, but it's a woman named (laughs) Kathy Pacheco. Or a man, no judgment. What's the most challenging aspect of directing Eliza? I suspect since she's fiercely independent and maybe a little, a lot stubborn. Excuse you, Kathy. (laughs) It has to be challenging, right? Go on. I mean, I would say I could see if you didn't trust the director how, like, I think we knew when we met before we started working together that we had similar senses of humor. So I think we went into it both with a pretty positive, like, I knew that we would be on the same page collaboration-wise and comedy-wise. No, Jerry's still out for me. I don't know about you. (laughs) 
but I think uh, I could see how to, because we're both, we both are very strong opinionated. And I think for the right reasons, like both of us are for the right reasons. Like this has to be a good show and it has to be funny and it has to come out well. And I could see how if, we were on completely different pages about what was yes. funny, how the challenge would be finding finding a way to arrive at what was needed to be the end product. But but I, I feel like I've worked on other things where I was in a slightly different comedic mindset than the pro, than the project we're making or than the writer or the showrunner. And at some point it's like, okay, this is your project and yeah. uh, my job is to make you look good. So I'm, I get it. Like, if, if I now that I understand what you want out of this, like, okay, you really want a dramedy, I'll stop trying to make it funnier and funnier at every turn right. because what you want out of this is a dramedy and ultimately it's your project and if you're going to shine in a dramedy, then let's do that, lean into that. Yeah. So I think, I don't, I don't think it's challenging working with you because we're already in a mind meld situation. We wouldn't be working together. No, it would have if been. we didn't get along. Also, to your credit, which we talked about early on, went like Go on. the uh, you're yeah. an EP on the show. Obviously, you yes. were you wrote a lot of it. The you're playing almost every single character in it. You are very able to be present in the thing we were sh- we are shooting while we are shooting it, mm-hmm. which is I've worked with other people who are in the show and wrote it, and that isn't something that everybody can do, and that makes it more fun Thank in you. the moment, and it makes it funnier in the moment, which makes my job easier because we're we're both like we're both there making it the best it can be, mm-hmm. as opposed to like you being distracted and then like try us or trying, trying to, to find it. it. We have less, we spend less time trying to find it and you, more time making it better. Absolutely. You right off the bat. I was like, Oh, she got it. Like just like the, like little inflections, just small things. I was like, Oh, she gets what's funny in a way that I respect because I don't respect what a lot of people think is funny. And a lot of people are wrong. And yeah. a lot of people can read an impeccably written script and still not fucking get it. Not only did you get it, you had like alt lines that were funny. And I was like, Oh, I can relax. And I'm always cognizant of, because people like think I'm independent of yours, but I am a team player. Like mm-hmm. I am a solo player. Oh, you definitely player, are. Team player. And I pick my battles very sparingly with you. In, meaning like I will only approach you to say how I want something to look just because like, I'm like, I just saw this in my head. Right. And usually you'll be like, yeah, that's what we're shooting. Yep. But I'm never like, no, swap out the lens, turn the cameras around, <laughs> get this coverage. Yeah. No, I think you're very collaborative. Thank you. You hear that? Folks? I think people assume when you have a very strong voice as as a, a comedian or in right. a comedy or as a director that you're not collaborative, but you you often you are. Thank it's you. Just... I let two different people rub my feet today on yeah, set. Yeah, exactly. I'm extremely collaborative. You're so good at sharing. I, um, oh, here's a good one. Okay, Lauren W underscore M seven. What name is that? Who are on your respective Mount Rushmores of comedy? Oof. Hmm. That's a tough one. It is. I feel like from like a director standpoint. Yeah, answer it from a director standpoint. Like Tina Fey, Mm -hmm. obviously, as predictable as that answer is, is just so like... I feel like as a writer, as a director, obviously she was also as an actor, but from my perspective, just really... Like there was a point where I was like the bar I would set um, in terms of like what would Tina Fey think of this? Like, I think because I think she's smart. She did, she created a character, especially in 30 rock and on, on SNL that were like the, she was able to make jokes about women where we could laugh at ourselves and acknowledge that we're, and she was pretty. It wasn't like, yeah. I'm this lo- even though Liz Lemon was a little bit of a loser, she still wasn't, but it was self deprecating yes. without fear of being like, Oh, we're knocking women back. If we make fun of her. So it was like self deprecating and also brilliantly so smart brilliant. and funny she's and she's Jack Donaghy's great. a personal hero of mine yeah I can, he's such a that's an amazing character I love it All right. um, also Steve Conrad is my favorite writer director he made the show Patriot that was on Amazon which is one of the most beautiful okay. and hilarious shows he has a new show called with uh, Ben Kingsley in it that I can't remember the name of. Sounds awesome. The, his show names are weird because they don't. The shows are different than the names. But he he made this. He's made a couple movies. He's like brilliant. Okay. And um, I mean, yeah, I don't know who else. That's okay. It's always weird when it's like, give me three. Mount Top Rushmore three. means three, right? I mean, I think no. There's more than three. Oh, there's several. But um, I'm real bad at geography uh, and history. I I in turn, I I have two off the top of my head. I think Laurie Metcalf is mm-hmm. completely under-celebrated publicly. 
so fucking genius. And uh, Jennifer Saunders of French and Saunders. Oh, yeah, from Absolutely yeah. Fabulous. Yeah. I modeled a lot of the way I speak after the way She's she would brilliant. pontificate. So it, it would. this question's better if someone asks, then I can say yes or no. I think Joan Rivers, too, just for how groundbreaking it was for, like, females in comedy. You wouldn't say Phyllis Diller or Carol Burnett? I love Carol Burnett. You also. know what? I have to be honest. Uh, I know I'm supposed to say I love Carol Burnett, and... I, I really respect her. I never watched the show. It wasn't on when I in my yeah. house or when I was a kid, so I, I missed that. I was watching In Living Color and Kids in the Hall. Yeah. I took a lot of my cues from men, but I didn't know, no one ever said women weren't funny, so the women of SNL for me, like Sherry O'Terry's years, yeah. they were, that was huge. And I never thought the women on In Living Color weren't funny or the one girl in the state or, you know, like you have to be told that women aren't funny. Oh, yeah, you yeah. Wouldn't, my mom's funny. Yeah. Like, if you, you just think that. Yeah. If you weren't told that, I feel like, but just watching stuff, you would not even, it wouldn't occur to you. Let's answer some life questions. Okay. Arian, Ariana Danielle, as two women who work in the film industry, I don't really, it's more Laura. <laughs> I've been in like two movies. You're in film now. I'm in, I'm a woman in film. What do you find difficult? And what's an awesome part? Is that like too platitude? No. I mean... Again, like I've been lucky in that uh, a lot of my career, like a lot of my career wasn't just you're a woman in film. It was like I just got lucky that I kind of ended up working in it and then had a reel by the time it became cool for people to hire women. So now it works more in my favor than it did before. But uh, I mean, I guess <laughs> that is hard. The What was it? What's the hardest part? And what's. Yeah, it's like one of those like Mount Rushmore things. Like, what's the extreme? The hardest part, and this is maybe not where this question was intended to go, is I have really bad endometriosis and my period is a thing every month and I'm shooting and I'm working and I don't have the luxury of like have laying home on a heating pad and having cramps. And I, my entire, like, once one week a month, my entire job stress is about how I'm going to manage my pain or if I sometimes I'll end up vomiting all night and then I have to go to work without having slept because I was up vomiting all night or like I'll end up in the emergency room, which is luckily mostly happened on weekends. Like, is that happen to you here? It has no here. It hasn't because oh I've been taking Advil every four hours for like five straight days before my period. You to like mainline Advil, it. yeah. yeah. It's, it's it's a, I have to get surgery every couple of years and I've just haven't gotten it. And so it's like, it's so heavy, that Laura. is honestly the hardest thing about being a woman in the industry for That's me. fair. Cause no dude has to deal with that or think about it. Period plus endometriosis. Yeah. Right. And even like say I didn't have endometriosis, like I'm shooting on a set where there's a uh, outdoor, we're outdoors and the bathroom is three blocks away. If I have my period, I can't, I can't leave whenever I want to. Like I have to yeah. find a time to go three blocks. Like, Thinks was a nice addition to my life. Those oh underwear, so that it yeah, like made, but it made a huge difference. Like that's very it honest. Changed my anxiety to some degree. So I think that is something nobody talks about. That is different when you're a woman and you're in the film industry. Just the agency over your own health and your body, and like all those things that like guys don't even from a safety standpoint. Like and when I walk to my apartment at night, or when I walked, you know, just a little bit extra. Or we were shooting a scene, and I was in like a really revealing outfit that was intended to look hideous which it did, right. but at the end of the so day, brave. you still see like part of my body and oh, jerk off with that. And I had a robe on and we were standing outside and car after car, these fucking like Teamster dudes just kept driving by and staring. And I just had a robe on. You couldn't see anything. And they were looking and one guy slowed down and I got so fucking pissed because it's like, I'm just trying to film something to be funny. I'm not even trying to be sexy. I don't deserve this. And I flipped right. him off, which is so trashy. And I never do it. And this motherfucker backed his van up. Like he was going to do I didn't something. Know that. And the PAs were like, move, like they got him to move yeah. away. But it's like, yeah, you're eye fucking me. Yeah. I'm asking you to move away. You're not. Now you're going to teach me a fucking lesson because I'm uncomfortable with your gross Jesus. fucking stare yeah. while I'm trying to be funny. So I should wear a burqa? I can't. Anyways, I'm like looking My at My favorite you. thing was you yelled, no free boners. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. No free lunch, no free boners. Um, Emily, this is from Twitter. Emily, 88193366. What is your favorite style of comedy to direct and why? I mean, I love comedy that has an undercurrent of social message that you don't realize is happening. That's Sugar like a little it. satirical, yeah. which is why I love so many sketches in this. Like I, especially like I love any sort of female comedy antihero, like, like veep. 
Or like Fleabag. Or Fleabag. Yeah. Like, that's brilliant, and I'm glad there's more of those happening. I think people were scared of them before, and now between Veep and Fleabag, it proves, totally. like, this works. You know what never got any love? Getting on with Laurie Metcalf. She was yes. That was a brilliant. That was brilliant. Um, but I love any sort of thing that just has a smart satirical message. Like v- that's why Veep was so brilliant. I she think. didn't give a fuck. No, and she was terrible. But like so many of the things they were talking about were very smart. There was like an underlying to message without about- taking a side. And in a weird way, I didn't necessarily root for her, but I did want to see what she would do. Right, exactly. <laughs> and that's so fun. And so there's a million great characters that Danny McBride plays that are like hilarious comedy antiheroes that are like not that likable but you kind of root for there are very few characters written like that for women until right. now it's finally happening it's true because I'm men so are like excited. inherently likable there's just a big fuzzy teddy bear with women it's like I bet she fucked your husband or like there's that the, Eve there's quality. a pushback from I think there's been a long term pushback of for maybe because the executives were I don't know why but it was like if no, women no, are going to watch this show yeah because there were male executives giving notes and it was like the woman needs to be likable she needs to be more likable and all that led to was watered down characters you know where that was but it still worked even though to this day I still talk about it with Michelle how much we don't like her is Sex in the City Carrie was a bit of an she was half antihero yeah she was selfish and she was like not cool. And like a little bit. But bitchy. I would say that was bordering on a drama. Yeah. Like I feel like there's he great. Broke up like, with her on a post-it. Right. Exactly. <laughs> there's great drama female antiheroes. There's more and more comedy ones finally. For sure. Like all yeah. Greek mythology. That's all I want to make. Is, right. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, that's here's a question about the real life. Lauren Liu. This is a very Lauren Liu, this is a very specific question. So I'm assuming Uh-oh. this. Definitely happens. I don't know if I'm qualified to give life advice. No, you are. Okay. You have endometriosis. You're definitely qualified. (laughs) What is the best response to (laughs) shut... This is the most specific question I've ever gotten. What is the best response to shut someone down for inappropriately asking or implying something about a woman's non-existent pregnancy? I'm regularly horrified to hear of examples of virtual strangers incorrectly presuming someone is pregnant and then going on to comment about it. For example, my friend once asked a bank teller to use the bathroom. Teller said, sorry to turn away a pregnant person, but they don't have a bathroom. This friend was not pregnant. This friend was not a pregnant person. You can say woman. I've also straight up been asked if I'm expecting at work after I gained a little weight. I think it should be obvious that until someone has confirmed their pregnancy on their own, no one should ever feel obligated to broach the topic, ever feel uh, entitled to broach the topic of reproduction or the body. But I have a long and hard, still looking for the perfect snarky comeback to shut these comments down. Oh, a snarky comeback. It's like my first thought is say something weirder that just makes them uncomfortable. Like, okay, let's it, try like, it. Let's okay. do a real point. Ready? Oh, are you ex- are you expecting? Not in ke- until God decides I am. <laughs> like, just say something weird and uncomfortable weird. that just makes you seem crazier. And then, then they feel weird. Like, you've made them feel here, weird. Okay, if you're comfortable with making someone uncomfortable, here's all you have to say back. Like, oh, are you pregnant? Or are you expecting? And you just say, no, why do you ask? And let oh, them say to your that's face, because you look fat. You look yeah. Let the, put it right back on them. Right. That's uh-huh. interesting. And don't give a specific example like, why do I look, do I look fat? You have to nope. say, no, why do you ask? Why do you ask? That's brilliant. Yeah. Uh, that's not snarky, but that is a way to turn the tables on the conversation it's fast. It's a way to make sure that person absolutely comes back with a gun because yeah. you made them feel small. Uh, it's like that. Simpsons episode where the guy in the big car, Bart was laughing at him or Nelson, and they were like, he's like, are you laughing at the size of my automobile? <laughs> I'm talking about? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> but you always laugh, so I'm like, oh, maybe she knows what I'm talking about. That- I don't, well, just the fact that you were making a Simpsons reference that had something to do with pregnancy. I was, I liked where it was going. Yeah, for sure. Uh, that- I don't know what's, sn- a snarky one is hard. I feel like. You're not in a position to be snarky because that person was trying to say something nice. And then you'll come off as defensive. Well, yeah, but also like, Meet snark with snark. If right. they said, like, lay off the pie, then you could be like, why? Because you don't get laid at all or just, like, something right. horrible. Or but that's when you say, I'm actually pregnant. I'm actually pregnant. <laughs> We're pregnant, you half-wit. Natasha Barisi. Natasha Barisi. Barisi. Cue for Laura and Eliza. What's your biggest tip for writers wanting to get their scripts read? You take it away. Uh-huh, that's hard. I mean, I think there's a lot of those script writing contests that I think are half helpful and half a scam because you have to pay to enter all of them. Yeah. and But you can pay for coverage on some of them, which does get you at least a round of notes from somebody who's somewhat industry adjacent. It's helpful if you want notes. If you want to actually get your script read, because what you're really asking is like, how do I get my movie made? Right. Th- that's like... 
it's unfortunate, but it's you need a line. manager and you need right. an agent and a lot of places won't take unsolicited subscripts or scripts and submissions. So it's like, I, I don't know. I, that's a tough one. Here's how I think it works. Um, because there's different echelons to this. First of all, have your parents read it. If your parents are smart, like my mom actually has really insightful notes. She was on set for an episode we were recording the other day. My mom was a guest star on the show. And I turned to one of the other actors and I said, by the way, that's not a Netflix executive giving notes. That's my mother and you don't have to listen. <laughs> but her notes were good. You she did have good notes. Yeah. yeah. A couple times she had good like direction notes. Even coverage notes. notes. Yeah. Well, she had notes, the good notes on uh, performance she too. Did. Um, um, if you get some representation, when you go in for a general meeting, if people like you or they're interested in you as talent, they might want to see what else you have. Then they're going to ask to read a script. Yeah. You don't need anyone to read your script until you need someone to read your script. No one's going to read your script and be like, we got to make this movie. Yeah. So wait until someone's interested. Have that, polish it, repolish it, revisit it, sit, let it sit in a drawer, come back to it because one day someone's going to say, can I read your script? And you want to have it ready. Also, it works as a writing sample. Like if you're yeah. if you're actively writing and looking for writing jobs, even if that script may never get made or maybe it will down the road, it's great to have a really good writing sample. So if there is a potential writing job, you could be like, yes, I have this sample ready. That being said, let me say this. Um, for this show, for the Eliza Schlesinger sketch show, I requested, we had about 28 writers apply. And we live in a time now where you will, if you don't hire, you have to, you know, of course you want to be diverse, but you want to make sure that you're giving yourself the best options for writers. And to cover myself, because I don't care what my writers look like, I said I want to read my scripts blind, meaning I had their names taken off. So I could only judge it based on the material. Of course, I ended up with three Jews in the end, but I did it just, you can't say I picked one of it. I just read the joke for the jokes. And a lot of them were uh, sketches. Anybody who sent me a pilot, I threw it out. Right, because it, was, it like, was the wrong format for what you were looking for. And it doesn't always translate. That is a good point. It's also like, I don't. nobody wants to read your pilot. And it's like, I'm just reading for to see. For a sketch it. show. Yeah. yeah, show me your sketches. Don't send me a pilot. Yeah, that's a good point. That also comes to me, it comes off as lazy. Like, you couldn't yeah. just write a sketch. Also, now I take back what I said about not knowing any helpful hints on this. The Writers Guild, because of the new situation, has huge – because so many writers don't have representation now because of what happened with the union and the agencies. They have portals now that mm -hmm. you can upload your script and showrunners and people are reading them. So if you're a guild member, there you go. there's uh, there's like a, scre a script screenwriting, feature screenwriting portal. I think there's a TV pilot portal. Like there's places to now upload stuff that people are actually you looking just won't at. Have an agent to represent you. Yeah, but nobody does, so it kind of even the playing field. We do, though. We do, though, don't we? <laughs> and that is your personal insight to the world of film and directing. Laura had all the answers, but now <laughs> it's time for everybody's favorite part of the show. It's Top of the Cop. It's the Top of the Cop. We're doing it right every day. You just take a bite. Top of the Cop. Laura, before we sat down to dinner, I asked you to prepare a Top of the Cop and a Bottom of the Cop. Are you prepared to give your top of the cob and bottom of the cob? Yes, I think so. What's your top of the cob? Top of the cob is the best. Yes. Both parts of the cob. No, it's opposite day. <laughs> <laughs> both parts of the cob for me are marriages. I think okay, my... Okay, go ahead. <laughs> say, say both. One I mean... of them is the top, one of them is the bottom, and you guys can guess which one. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> People, people won't know. Uh, yeah, no, I'd say my current marriage would be the top of the cup. Recent marriage. Yes, Mazel very recent top. marriage. Yes, I was there. And my first marriage would be bottom of the cup, I guess. Is that an easy way out? Yes, fully. It's but that's okay. Not yeah. everybody gets a top and a bottom marriage cob. I mean, I don't really, I'm trying to think of anything else I hate enough to put on the bottom of the cob. I don't oh. even hate my marriage that much. I just don't hate stuff that much. No, you don't have to hate it. You can just something oh. that bothers you, something you don't like. The fact that you don't own a Merle Pomeranian that oh, you see I'll around tell your neighborhood. You what's real bottom of the cob then is unfinished ceramics. <laughs> <laughs> like I can't touch her, it gives me chills. <laughs> we go on. Like the when like any sort of like glass that's like rough unfinished glass that's smoky oh, like, and like, has like texture would go oh, like hippie uh like thrown clay like pottery work that like a hippie made but yeah, it's like not that nice. Yeah, before they sand it or glaze it and it's just rough and you're, you can feel it on your fingers. Oh, wait, you're talking about before it's glazed, not yeah. like the actual texture no. once it's been fired. No, the like oh. raw... Like oh, when your fingernail, like when your toenails get caught on a rough blanket, like Ooh. like that, but touching like a unfinished piece of raw pottery where it's like rough and it it gives me chills. It's almost just like a little powdery. Like it's, yeah. Oh really? 
Uh, you know what? I'll match that. I was going to do a whole thing about ice cream, but um, I'll match that bottom of the cob with I can't stand. I think I've talked about this once. Oh, God. I can't even talk. When someone folds a piece of paper and then on the crease, they run their fingers along it oh, like that. I could see that. Yeah. Oh, I will, I will shut down traffic. Yeah. Okay, so that's all same right. idea, same like core reaction yes. to something. Yeah, the blanket and feet thing, I kind of like it. I don't, that doesn't bother me. Your toenails when they're rough, getting caught on a blanket. I love picking at my toenails. Oh yeah, you said that. That's so it's weird. Disgusting. Uh, and so you're top of the copy of your current marriage. Typical. I mean, honestly, story. I never thought I would love being married. I don't know. I just did it the first time because he really wanted to, and I love being married right now. Maybe okay. it's only been a month, but I'm super into it. I love that. Yeah, it's cool. Okay, my top of the cob. We, you and I went to Van Leeuwen to get ice cream. And after trying three flavors, I, for some reason, picked pistachio, which like no one saw coming. And the guy like did not care about his job. And he was like, I'll give it to you for free. And I was like, no, I'll pay $7. <laughs> and he gave me a gigantic like triple scoop. And I walked out and I was like proud of myself because I was like, I actually don't want to eat this. But I didn't want the flavor. And I walked it back and I said, I know that you gave me extra ice cream. But what I would like is to trade this in. I'll even throw it out for a free small scoop of what I actually want. And he, and he did, did it. it. He did it. And I, I wasn't even going to go in there with you because I was so uncomfortable with the exchange. So uncomfortable. But I learned a lesson that it pays to go back and change your ice cream. And now it pays to be Jewish. Never settle for <laughs> pistachio. Never settle. And I ate it without a spoon. I licked it out of the cup. You did. Because I walked the walk. You're a good person. I did ask for a cone and he didn't give it to me. So I'm going to go back and complain. <laughs> Laura Murphy, my hair director... Uh, director of Adam Ruins Everything, Girl Code, and her Twitter, if you want to ask her some industry, for some industry inspo, is Best Laura Ever, L-A-U-R-A, not L-O-R-A. She's not that kind of girl. Thank you so much for sitting on my couch. Thank you for having me. We're going to make such a good sketch show. I'm very excited for it. It's been really fun to make. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.